Oh, Father, I thank you for who you are. And we honor and glorify your name. Lord, I thank you for these young children and their heart for you. I thank you for the music and just how it stirs in our heart and so good for our soul. Lord, I pray as we go through the day that, uh, that you will speak loudly, that my words will, will be soft, and that uh, we will understand what it means to be obedient and be citizens of, a, of your nation. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. So I started thinking about this sermon, and to be honest with you, I was supposed to preach last week, and uh, Pastor Bill ended up going to see his mom this week, so we switched, and, and he got to preach about you guys being a chosen race, he got to speak about all these really cool things, and I get to talk about you guys being obedient to the government. And what was kind of interesting, and I don't know if you guys know it, and, and I don't know if you guys know Jenny. Some of you are new and you don't know her, but she's, she always sat in the back. She was so faithful to our church, and she's an, an older lady. And I have to be honest, if, if, she, if anybody, we do not want to get COVID with, with all the different things that, that they check the boxes, you know, with diabetes or, or lungs or smoking or whatever it is, she'd probably be the lady. And she got COVID this week. And the first day she calls me, and she's incoherent, and I can hardly understand her. And I end up getting off the phone with her, and, and I'm in tears. I mean, I really do not want to lose this lady. I really love this lady. And the next day she calls me, and she sounds a little bit better. And she sounds a little bit more like Jenny. And I'm starting to listen to her, and she's going, you know, they won't let me get out of my bed. They won't let me go to the bathroom. They won't let me because I keep disconnecting all these instruments they have connected to me. And I'm like, oh, man, this is perfect. You know, Jenny, I've been in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, and it talks about being subject to our leaders, subject to our government. And these, these people, these nurses, are just trying to, to help you. They're just trying to keep you from getting disconnected. If something happens, they don't know that something happened to you. And I get this little silence, and she goes, Yeah, but I just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I think she's got a fighting chance. And they moved her to a new room, and she seems to be doing better, so... Praise the Lord. All jokes aside, I really have to talk to us about this, this, this submission to the government. You see, we're in this heated election. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. We have COVID all around us. We have these riots. Everything seems to be in turmoil. And I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I've never seen things in more turmoil. I kind of wish Pastor Bill wouldn't have passed this on to me. But I think he was a little bit nervous knowing that I have this kind of free spirit, this, this cowboy spirit that I know a lot of you have. But I promise you today I'm going to do my best to, to really address the entirety of Scripture. And if we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 13-17, we have to look at it in comparison to the whole Scripture. I mean, if we just look at this verse, I'd say, yep, we're supposed to obey the government. That's what we're supposed to do. Fall in line. But the problem is, we often do this. We proof text. We do it with with Philippians 4.13. You know, I have strength to to be a great baseballer or, or football player, but we forget to look at it in context of what Paul is trying to say. And he's saying, in all circumstances, be content And that's so important when we're looking at this this particular verse. And in the same way, the the text that Pastor Bill got to speak last week, it's so powerful to looking at what we're going to learn today. 
That text last week said that before you were not even a people. And now you're people of God. And then it goes on. It calls us sojourners and and exiles in this land. this, This United States of America. But we're to be citizens of heaven first. And as citizens of heaven, we must do what is good and what is honorable. And in verse 9, it goes on, it calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are people of light. And today we must look at what that looks like. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to give you all the answers, because I don't have them. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says and and what the Bible tells us as, as people of this nation to be like. And sometimes that may be confrontational. But I can tell you it always looks like us holding to our moral compass and obeying God's laws no matter what is going on around us. So let's look at the text. Starting at verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You see, everyone in here, almost everyone in here would call us staunch, red-blooded Americans, freedom-loving Americans. Don't you dare take away our right to vote. Don't you dare take away our freedoms. But in reality, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to a monarchy. Now, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the king of that monarchy. But nonetheless, a monarchy. And in monarchies, we don't get the right to vote. You see, the perfect system that we are in is a king. And our king is perfect. He loves perfectly. He gives grace perfectly. He takes care of us perfectly. He provides and gives us purpose perfectly. This is the kingdom that we are residents, that we are citizens of. We have given up the ways of this world for a greater way, and that is our citizenship in heaven. And the longer we're in this faith, the longer we're believers, I think we tend to forget this, how big of a deal this is. And I don't know about you, but I have to be honest with you, sin is fun. And if you don't think sin is fun, then you're not doing it right. The problem is that sin is only fun for a little bit. And it brings this bondage and this control and this this destruction And Satan, he definitely designed it that way for a reason. But we also forget that God at the very least allows it. And I would say even more. And why would I say this? Because what value would a citizenship in heaven be if we didn't have to give up anything in order to be part of it? Have we surrendered to a perfect holy nation, Christ's nation? We are first and foremost... Citizens of this nation. And this is so relevant to what we're going to in this particular scripture. We must hold to these principles first. But at the same time, we are sojourners in this land. 
Sojourners in a land that that gives us Biden and Trump as our choice for president. That gives us the likes of Pelosi and Mitch McConnell as the head of our House and our our Senate. And John Roberts is the, the head of our Supreme Court. And you may like some things about them and you may hate a lot of things about others. But I want us to remember that our King is so much greater than they could even imagine, that we could ever even fathom. So often as Christians, we get so caught up in our politics. We argue about bringing prayer back into the schools, lowering taxes, abortion, health care, you name it, whatever it is. And we, we tend to forget what our God is calling us to do. We compare the church to the Republican Party, at least here. But there's other churches that would say the Democrat Party is the party of the church. Either way, we've, we've got these two separations. We either stand against everything... Or we give in to everything. And I say both are right in so many ways and, and both can be so wrong. The bottom line is that our God is not our politics and it must never be our politics. Our God is the King of all kings. Man, He's greater than any political party, any politician, any dictator. He's greater than everything. And it's not even close. And we must never bend our morals our principles to the ways of this world. But at the same time, this this text, this Scripture tells us to honor our government for the sake of the Lord. And I long for the days when there is no more political seasons. When everyone is complete surrender to the King because He is perfectly loving. Because He is a perfect servant. I mean, how powerful is that? I long for the day when there is no more COVID. There's no more arguing about money and how we should spend it because Jesus is right there. He's directly with us. But oh wait. We forget that Jesus is there right with us. And sometimes us as church members, we can be the biggest adversaries to each other. Man, we forget that that Jesus isn't just beside us. Jesus resides in us and He gives us the ability to live out this life of Christianity with unity, with loving one another. I mean, as I was looking at this this text, it would be so easy for me to just stand up here and tell you to to sing Kumbaya and obey all the laws of the government and, and go on your way. But we are first subject to God's laws. And it would be so easy for me to stand up here and tell you to be rebels and, and we only serve God and we don't ever do anything what the government tells us. And that's not what it's saying. It tells us to be subject to our government. And we struggle between these two truths that so happen in the Bible. But we must be subject to Jesus first. In our Bible, it clearly gives us examples of believers going against the government. In the book of Daniel, it's all over the place. The Egyptian midwives do not kill the Israelite babies. Peter and John, they must tell people about who Jesus is, no matter what the government says. And Paul, it's all over the place. And even Jesus. So I ask us, how do we keep our principles and still honor the government that God has put us in? I mean, we can't forget that when Peter and Paul are writing these words, who is in power in Rome? 
I mean, Nero is not a very nice guy. He sets fire to parts of the Roman citizens, the city, and then, and then blames the Christians so that he can watch them as they're being crucified and he sets them on fire. I mean, that's the type of tyrant that is in power when they're writing these. So if we think that we have to be disobedient and we don't have to honor the governor because he's a tyrant, I don't think that's what this Bible is saying. But we do have this this greater principle to hold to. So what are these reasons that we must disobey the government? And I'm sorry, it is not our taxes. Trust me, I looked all over the Bible trying to figure out if there was a way that I didn't have to pay taxes. I love them just like you guys do. But throughout the scripture, I'm telling you, every time I read something, every time I looked at it, it did exactly the opposite. We are to pay our taxes. But at the same time, I saw this, that we are relieved from the corruption of our government. When it comes to taxes, we are to pay it. But on a personal level, these are the things that we are to hold firm to. And they're laid out in Acts 2.42. This is the first sermon that is preached in the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The word of God. And fellowship and in breaking of bread. Fellowship and in prayer. The word of God. Fellowship and prayer. We are to be devoted to God's word. That's number one. Number two, it tells us to be unwavering in our fellowship, which includes the breaking of bread. It includes being around other believers. We cannot walk this walk without being around other people in the faith. We are to break bread together. We are to have communion. We are to be in small groups. We are to be around each other and live this life together. Now, we may spend some time apart lately. I get it. But I plead with us to come back together to mandate this, this mandate for us to meet. And the last one, number three, finally that no one should put limits on our ability to pray. And if we hold to these principles, it gives us a great idea of what God is calling us to do in this government, in this land that we are sojourners in. And I hope so desperately that we are better citizens of heaven than we are citizens of the United States. I mean, how many of you can name the Bill of Rights? I can't. And this Bible is the constitution of our holy nation. And I hope that we know it better than we know our own constitution for the United States. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the two commandments that Jesus told us to to love God and to to love others? Do you know the great commission to go and make disciples? And if we don't know that, we have a lot of work to do. So let's look at the text. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And this word subject here means to be obedient, to be under control. And it says every human institution. And when the Bible says every, it means every. So wait a second, is he talking about Hitler's Germany? I am. But at the same time, we must be so careful. 
If we misunderstand this text, it leads to people staying quiet as Hitler takes over and millions die. These Christians in Germany stayed silent because of a couple texts in the Bible as Hitler rises to power. And I'm telling you, there is in no way that that is what this Bible is telling us to do. We must stand against evil as it's being manufactured all around us. And there's these two groups. There are those that are, that are silent. And then there's this other side. There are those that are using their political beliefs to shape their scriptural beliefs. And I looked at this one pastor. He was a Lutheran pastor and he became the, the bishop of the Third Reich. And this is what he believes. Listen to these words, these 25 points of the German religion. Starting at verse 1. The Jewish Old Testament as well as part of the New Testament are not suitable for this new Germany. Number two, Christ was not Jewish, but a Nordic martyr put to death by the Jews. A warrior whose death rescued the world from their Jewish influence. And number three, Adolf Hitler is the new Messiah sent to earth to save the world from the Jews. This man was a supposed believer. And you heard me right. We have an obligation to let this word and a right interpretation of it dictate our moral compass at all times. And I understand that I'm using this extreme example, but if if we look at something smaller, we see the Bereans. I mean, they even hold Paul accountable and look to the word. Acts 17.11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul even goes as far in Galatians 1.8. He says, even if an angel speaks something against this Bible, they are to be accursed. An angel of God. This Bible is set in stone. Nothing can speak against it. Something other than what this Bible says. But at the same time, we're supposed to honor our leaders. And never go against God's Word. So turn in your Bible to, to Daniel 1. We're going to look at what this looks like in the Bible. We see Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and they're taken into captivity in Babylon. And this eunuch, he wants them to eat the king's food and, and to learn their culture. But the problem is, the Old Testament forbid them to eat horse meat and pork which is the staple of the Babylonian diet. And Daniel, he goes to him and he he asks them, can we not eat this? I promise you. And he's he's respectful to him. And the eunuch says, okay, I'm going to let you eat vegetables for ten days and, and we'll see if you are healthier than these others. Now some people use this as a time that we don't have to eat veg or we don't have to eat meat and we only eat vegetables. All right, I've done the diet. I mean, I felt pretty good on it. But, but I think we missed the point that God does a miraculous work here and that God works in their lives because they're obedient to God's Word. And then at the end, God, He blesses them with the ability to learn and, and He puts them in power. And you see throughout Daniel this aspect of where Daniel continually shows what it means to love Jesus. I know he didn't know Jesus at the time, but the the Messiah. 
And then if we turn over to chapter 3, we see another example. You see Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they refuse to bow and worship this golden image. They refuse to go against God's word. And they, they go in front of the king. But they, they don't do it by fighting. They don't do it by causing chaos. They don't do it out of disrespect. They go and they take the punishment that God has given them. That the king has given them. Sorry. And as they're in front of this mad king, this is what they say. Verse Daniel 3, 16 through 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Needless to say, this king is a little ticked off. He heats the furnace up seven times. I mean, it's so hot that the people that are taking them up die as they're putting them in the furnace. But they're obedient and they go. They don't fight. Because they know that their God is going to make Himself known. And He does exactly that. They're in the the fiery furnace and they're not burning up. There's not even smoke. And we see that there's a fourth individual walking beside them. And and Nebuchadnezzar sees this. and, And at that moment, he declares their God, the one true God. He sees their faith as they're facing such a terrible consequence. I mean, they could have fought it, but they don't. And that's what we can learn from this. I mean, we can disobey our government. We can even protest against it. But when it's time for us to go to jail, we put our hands out. And we understand that God is taking us to this jail. And we understand that in jail, God has a purpose for us. And we get to share about who Jesus is while we're there. We get to talk about Jesus. And then we move on. We see verse 14. It says, or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. As we're looking at this text, I think we should think of this more as a a sheriff or a police chief or maybe the the local judge. They're the ones in this community that, that uphold the law. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we were in the wild, wild west. Vigilante was everywhere. And these organizations, they bring about peace. And they're to be honored. Now, I understand this is a hot debate right now. I get it. And I'm going to tell you, there's no place for racism in the Bible. And we as a church can never be about unfair treatment from officers to to anybody. But at the same time, we can't be about unfair treatment to our officers. The Bible clearly tells us that when we do something wrong, there are consequences for our actions. And it clearly tells us that they are to punish those that are doing evil. I mean, our God, He puts them in power. At the same time, it is very clear that all men are made in the image of God. And then at the same time, it tells us that we're to hold our leaders accountable when they overstep their bounds. But we're to do it more like Martin Luther King would do it and less like those that are rioting and destroying and killing others. And when we disobey the law, and we might have to do it because of our greater law in God. But we must do it. We must do it in peace. Man, if we march against abortion, 
That's okay, but we can't use violence and we can't bomb abortion clinics. We have such a higher calling. As individuals, when we disobey our government, when we disagree, we must do it with respect and dignity. Which means something I struggle with when I get pulled over, it's yes ma'am or yes sir. It means when an officer is going to arrest us, that we stick out our hands. And if we're going to protest, we do it in peace. You see, Martin Luther King, he went to jail, and we still read the words that he penned while he was in jail. And our natural tendency is to fight violence with violence. But when we fight violence with love, when we fight violence with honor, when we fight violence with peace, things actually change. And we can be an institution of change when we choose to do it with good. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I mean, anytime we see this, this will of God, we need to read closely. God is telling us exactly how He wants us to act. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon. Men are ready enough to speak against our holy faith. And in Peter's day, the charge was laid out against Christians that they were enemies against social order. Ignorance, you see, is a noisy thing. An empty drum makes a loud noise when it is beaten. And empty men, like empty vessels, often make the most sound. How then are we to silence this noisy ignorance? By argument? No, for it is not amenable to argument. Ignorance is to be silenced by doing good. He's writing these words in the mid to late 1800s, and these words still hold true today. Do we ever lead people to Christ by argument? And I would say no, at least in my experience. We do it by by doing good and using the things that we do, the acts of goodness that we do to open doors to share with people our faith, the difference that it's made in our lives. And yet so many of us, we don't even talk about Jesus. I mean, Spurgeon would say that we're either on mission or we're an imposter. It's a sermon for another day, but I'm just begging you today. I'm just begging you to use our good deeds, the things that we do that are good to speak to Christ, to speak about Christ to others. And when we do this, it frees us from this bondage of this world and it makes such a huge difference. When we are free in Christ... John 8, 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This abide means to act. And I ask us as a church, do we act? Do we take action, not for evil, but for good? Verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He writes this because the Jews, they thought they were free men, but yet they were rebelling against this Roman government. And I look at you and I say, we are free from sin. Not, we're not sinless, but we are free from it because of what Christ has done. God tells us to be obedient. And when we must disobey, to do it with honor. And we're not just to honor our leaders. The Bible also tells us that we are to honor everyone. Verse 17. Do we honor our parents, our children, our political rival, our business rival, our in-laws, the poor, 
the rich, the Democrat, the Republican, the old, the young, another race, another religion, another sex, another sexual orientation. I'm telling you right now, every one of us is guilty of one of these. I've heard that I'm not supposed to uh, associate with my gay brother. I say no. I'm to love my brother and I am to honor him because he is part of the everyone. And lastly, we can't forget this. Do we honor the people in the church? Our pastors, our leaders, the people sitting right next to you right now. Do we honor them? The Bible says right here in 17, love the brotherhood. Do we love those that are sitting right next to you at this moment? And we talked about masks earlier, and, and there are different people in the church who have different perspectives on this. But I ask us, some would say that we, we love the brotherhood by, by masking up. And some would say that we love the brotherhood by, by being together and not worrying about masking up. But I ask you, the important part of this is what is your motive? Are you looking at yourself? I was looking at my wife's Facebook, and there was this thing in there, and it said, Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best teacher, the wisest, the best friend, and yet he failed. The problem is not the leadership of the church you go to. If your attitude does not change or your character transformed, you will always be the same. If you are loving the brotherhood, we must first examine ourselves You see, I believe that we cannot carry out the Great Commission unless we are actively working together as a team, loving each other to take the Gospel to the world. And I don't think the church in general, not necessarily this church, but the church in general is doing a very good job. Because all we have to ask ourselves is when the last time we shared the Gospel with somebody. You don't have to answer that. You can ask, answer it internally. You see, we have so much work to do and that we use our time fighting with one another fighting against the government worried about who's going to get into office when there's so much more that is important in this world and that is the name of Jesus Christ we get caught up in all these political views and people are dying without knowing who Jesus Christ is you want to know what's important look at the next part of verse 17 to fear God and there's two areas of fear. There's respect, but I don't think they're that far apart. Our first responsibility is to do and to fear God and to do what He's asked us to do. God is the one that we should fear, not man. Matthew 28.10 And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, sorry. I mean, really, what can man do to us? I'm more in fear of what God can do to me than what God or than what man can. And I love Paul's take on this in, in Philippians. I mean, Paul is, is getting arrested and he's like, he's sitting here in prison and he's and he's getting all these things happening to him, and he's like, to die is gain. Oh, you want to kill me? Well, I'm gonna be with Jesus. Oh, you want to leave me here? Well, I'm gonna convert everybody. Oh, you want to put me in jail? Well, be ready for your guards to know Jesus. And even in all of this, he's speaking about all these truths. But, but listen to these words in Philippians 1.27. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul, he is is bound by this commandment to love God and to love people even when the government says no. Paul is bound by the great commission to go and share the gospel even when the government says no. Paul has an obligation to pray in all circumstances even when the government says no. At the same time though, he's bound to do it with worthiness to the gospel of Christ. After fear, fear God. And in, in Peter 2.17, it says, honor the emperor. And it's after fear God. We are to fear God first, and then we are to honor the emperor second. We are to honor the emperor by living our life as worthy of the gospel. But we should never be in fear of the emperor. We should never be in fear of what this world can do. We should live in peace. Peace internally doesn't mean that peace outside of us is always going to be that way. This means that that we should obey the laws. But there are times when we must disobey the laws. Especially when it goes against our our moral compass. Our God, He mandates us to be the light. He mandates us to love the Word of God. He mandates us to know this Word of God so well that we know exactly when somebody is going against these morals. He mandates us to be together. To love one another. So that we can live this life together. And He mandates us to continually be in prayer and contact with God. And if we're not doing these three things, it leaves us susceptible to what happened in Hitler's Germany. And that can never happen to us. Or can it? If we're not careful. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You that we are citizens of a greater nation. A perfect nation, a holy nation. We get to live a life that is so much greater because of your son's work on the cross. And that someday we'll get to be next next to him. But right now we can still call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we can live a life in, in worship and in obedience to Him because He perfectly deserves it. I ask that You would help us to honor the government no matter who gets into power. That You would give us peace in a greater King, a King Jesus. And that peace would carry out and and people would see the good that comes from it. And from that good, we'd be able to share who You are. Lord, I pray for salvation because that's the only way We get to be part of the more perfect nation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.